Hello, everybody. I'm Jill, and I'm your host. This is your favorite new true crime podcast, Sick. Welcome back. I'm sorry for the long hiatus between, um, but you might have to get used to it because I am crazy busy, and I think I might only have time for one of these each month because I think the next one that I'm going to do, well, I'll tell you about it at the end. So anyway, today's episode is about Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. It was a Thursday in May of 1977. 20-year-old Colleen Stan was hitchhiking from Eugene, Oregon to Westwood, California to attend a birthday party, and she told her roommate Alice that she'd be back by Saturday. In Colleen's words, she was an experienced hitchhiker and had turned away two other cars when she had arrived in a town called Red Bluff, California. She had then encountered a couple with a baby who was driving a blue van, and because the van contained a woman with a little baby in the woman's arms, Colleen felt comfortable enough that she wasn't in any danger and accepted a ride from them. The driver mentioned making a pit stop to see some ice caves and said that he needed to get some gas first. So they stopped at a gas station and the driver got out to use the restroom. Colleen would later say that she had the urge to just run away and never look back. And I'm sure there are many times since then that she wonders why the hell she didn't. Anyway, Colleen agreed to go see the ice caves and soon they were off. Um, after about a mile, uh, so after they finished with, with the gas station, whatever, and they were back on the highway, after about a mile, they stopped and the woman and the baby got out of the car and went to go sit by a nearby stream. The man got out of the car and held a knife to Colleen's throat and demanded that she also get out of the car. Then he bound her up with weird shit like leather straps that made it impossible for her to open her mouth and handcuffs. And... He put an insulated plywood box that weighed 20 pounds and shut out all light and sound on her head and locked it. Locked it. That just gives me the worst anxiety ever. So this box was called the head box and this sicko made the contraption himself. So since Alice, Colleen's roommate at the time, had not heard from her by Saturday... She was concerned, so she, of course. So she called Colleen's mom to see if maybe Colleen was at her mom's house, and she wasn't. So a few days later, Alice called the police and filed a missing persons report. Meanwhile, Colleen um, was in the back seat of this kidnapper's car with this awful contraption head box on her head, and she was hide she was supposed to hide in the back seat they went they ended up going to breakfast or lunch or whatever like the kidnapper and his wife like they went to a restaurant while she was chilling in the back seat with a box on her head when they finally got out they took her to their house where they brought her down to their basement handcuffed her to a pipe on the ceiling so that her arms were wide apart and then they and then he the the guy stripped her beat electrocuted whipped and burned her until she sobbed then he and his wife had sex in front of her and then they unhandcuffed her and put her back in the head box and left her in the basement
So who was this fucked up wacky couple? The driver's name was Cameron Hooker. He was born November 5th, 1953 and was described as a happy kid, but nobody knew he harbored dark sadistic fantasies. In 1973, he met a girl named Janice. At that time, he was 19 years old and Janice was just a freshman in high school. And they began, you know, to be intimate sexually. And he asked her if he could hang her up on a tree without her clothes on and bind her to the tree with leather handcuffs. And she let him do that from time to time, but she was not into it at all. But he would be super affectionate when he took her down and she rationalized away her fear of him. So he continued to ask for more, like more bondage, more blah, blah, whatever it was that he wanted. And she refused. So he told her that he would be taking a sex slave. Um, So initially he and Janice had an agreement that this sex slave would just be the recipient of his darker urges and needs and would not be someone to actually have penetrative sex with. I'm sure you all will not be the least bit surprised to find out that this agreement did not last. So, a little more history um, that is not related to Colleen Stan. Well, it is sort of, obviously, but a little bit. Okay, so in January of 1976, Cameron also kidnapped, tortured, and murdered another woman named Marianne Elizabeth Spanaki or Spanhake. I'm not sure how to say that last name. I'm going to say Spanaki because I just think it sounds better, and I could be wrong, but sorry, Marianne, rest in peace. She was just 19 years old when she was kidnapped, and she had only moved to Chico from Cleveland, Ohio, about a month before uh, with her boyfriend. Well, she and her boyfriend, the day she was kidnapped, had been at a flea market, and they got into an argument. So she decided to just walk home. Well, after a couple of days, her boyfriend was like, well, okay, where the hell is she? Because she still wasn't home, and that wasn't really like her. So he called the police, and he filed a missing persons report. Sadly, nobody would know what had happened to her until 1984. So now we're back to Colleen. So from the spring of 1977 and 1979, Cameron had a bunch of porn magazines. And oddly, he would take photos of the pictures in the magazines. One of the articles in one of the porn magazines that he had mentioned buying and selling sex slaves. So at that point, now Cameron was obsessed with that entire idea. And apparently he wanted Colleen to be like a French character in a uh, in in an erotic novel that was written in 1954 called The Story of O. So back to the girl in the box, Colleen was blindfolded for six months and locked inside the workshop, which was an area in the basement where she would be vaginally and anally raped with objects since at first... Cameron didn't want to have sex with her and, quote, cheat on his wife, which is kind of freaking ridiculous considering all the shit he was doing. But okay, I guess everybody's got to have a line. So Cameron and Janice made her um, work for them. Like, so they would only let her out of this box two hours a day. All the other 23 hours a day, poor Colleen was like stuffed in a coffin-sized box and put underneath Cameron and Janice's bed. 
Um, so, but, but for two hours of the day, they would let her out and she would be allowed to do things uh, for them, like macrame for their house, cleaning, taking care of the children during, you know, or taking care of the children. So basically, that solidified her position within the household as a sex slave um, until she was given a contract in January of 1978. So around that time, he made Colleen read an article about an un, uh, about underground sex slave trafficking, and she was literally living that life. So I'm sure she was like, yeah, this is not a great article. Thanks for like, making me read it, jerk. So then he told her, cryptically, they know you're here. And Colleen was like, what are you talking about? Who knows I'm here? I'm sure she was hoping it was her family, but he told her the company. He told her that the company was a highly organized network of men just like him who preyed on young women like her and made them sex slaves. And he told her that she needed to sign the sex slavery contract and that after she signed it, the company would make him register her and she would have to wear a collar. And he told her that the company would monitor them. And if she tried to escape, the company would find her and torture her mercilessly. He also told her that the company had bugged her parents' house and that if she tried to escape, the company would also find and hurt her parents. So after she signed this slave contract, she was given a new name, her slave name, K, just the initial K. Or maybe not, but I'm calling it just the initial. So after signing the contract and becoming his slave, there was a list of rules that Kay was expected to follow. She had to address Cameron as sir or master. And she had to address Janice as ma'am. She was not allowed to cross her legs. She was not allowed to wear underwear. She had to kneel ass permission before speaking. And she had to... Um, even ask permission before going to the bathroom, just like Shelly Notek used to make people do, ask permission before even going to the bathroom, which I'm so sorry if any of you have ever encountered that because that is just so fucked up. Like you should not need permission to go to the kitchen and get a snack or to go to the bathroom or to speak. Like that's so abusive and ridiculous. And if anybody makes you do that shit, like they're awful. And you should try to get away from them if you can because it's ridiculous. So anyway, she also was only allowed to shower when they told her she could. And one time she went three months without a shower because they would not let her. I mean, if Cameron wasn't disgusting enough, the fact that he would want to rape somebody that he forced to get that musty, like he refused to let her shower so she was stinky i'm sure like why would you then want to rape that person like it's disgusting enough that he would do that it's even it just adds a whole nother level of ick but anyhow he, yeah he's a disgusting pig so after Kay signed the contract she was allowed to come into the actual house and then she really started acting you know performing in a more slave-like role but um you know she had a lot of freedom considering like they would make her do chores, of course. Um, and she was allowed to, you know, do other stuff like garden and she would take care of their kids. She actually ended up getting like really close with their kids and their kids loved her. So it's really sad. So that's really sad. 
So she also, um, Cameron would still do things like make her pose naked in uncomfortable positions until he would allow her to change her position, which sometimes he would make her stay in the same position for hours. And he also made her help him build an underground dungeon so that he could capture and keep more sex slaves. So although Kay now had access to, you know, their house phone, the neighbors, she was even allowed to take jogs around the neighborhood. She never said a single word about what was going on in that house because she was so terrified of Cameron and the mysterious fake entity known as the company. Janice, Cameron's wife, would later say that she herself felt scared and lost during the time that Colleen lived in the house. She, I have, and I, I'm going to be honest with y'all, like I have, it's, I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for Janice, but like part of me is like, fuck you too, because you sat there and let your awful husband do this shit to someone else for all these years, just because you were too afraid to leave him and like, you know, not deal with it. But it's, I mean, I can't really understand what she also went through because I mean, he tortured her and abused her before he, you know, she kind of put a stop to it. Um, But I guess what bothers me about it is that she sat by and was like, yeah, okay, as long as you're not doing it to me, like you can, you can act out these fucked up things on somebody else. And it's even better if you do it to somebody that neither of us even knows. Like, it's just so messed up. It's like, Janice, what the fuck? What the hell were you doing? So I have a difficult time, honestly, feeling bad for Janice because I still feel like seven years is a really long fucking time and you just like sat there and let him do this shit for all that time before you finally fucking said something. So fuck her too, but whatever. Sorry if y'all hate me for that, but that's how I feel. So anywho, over the years, um, Cameron, oh wait, let me go back. So She and Cameron, Janice and Cameron, previously, like I said earlier, had an agreement that he would not have actual intercourse with Colleen. Um, Of course, she didn't trust that that was true, but her stupid ass devised a, quote, test that backfired spectacularly against her. She, like, one evening when they were having sex and all that, she asked him, like, well, do you want to bring Colleen to bed with us so you can have sex with her? And of course, yeah, he said yes. Which, Janice, you idiot, like, then she was upset. And it's like, well, why are you upset? How? What fucking answer did you even expect? Like, of course he's going to say yes to that. You have to know enough about him now to know, but... I guess not. So there was no going back. Like after they crossed that line, like he was definitely going to keep having sex with Colleen. So over the years, he did try to hide the fact that he was having vaginal and anal sex with Colleen and still abusing her. Um, And he still tortured and abused her. It became more dangerous because they were pretty free with letting Colleen out and Janice's family would come by once a week. One time, Colleen was cleaning the house, naked, by the way, and his dad randomly stopped over. And um, I can't remember, like, when I was listening to the book, if, like, the dad actually... I had the odd impression that the dad actually saw Colleen. Um, So I'm just not sure if he saw her, like, naked and was like, what the hell, or not. Uh, So I'm sorry, but... 
Anyhow, as soon as Cameron realized that his dad was there, he whisked Kay up, hurried and got her dressed in some ridiculous outfit, introduced her to his dad as their house- housekeeper, and made an excuse about getting Kay home. And then he locked her in a shed until his dad left. So after about three years or so of, you know, captivity, she had, you know, Kay was, you know, let out of the house to go to the grocery store and stuff too. And like I said earlier, she took care of their kids. She gardened around their house. She had just basically accepted that her lot in life was to be a slave and she devoted herself to serving them. Um, She was, however, instructed not to speak with the neighbors and she didn't. None of the neighbors seemed to think much of Kay living there. I guess they just thought, oh, it's like a menage a trois. That works for some people, whatever. And nobody really thought much of it. At one point, um, Cameron told her that the company needed some more identification. And he made her let him pierce her labia with gold jewelry. And he did it himself with a needle. After he did that, She was then allowed to stop wearing the collar that she had been wearing for the past few years. Um, So Janice was like crazy jealous of Colleen a lot of this time. And she expressed it to Cameron, but he did not give a fuck. And he just told her, like, you can see other guys if you want. Like, I don't care. So anyhow, yeah. Cameron would allow Kay to write to her family from time to time, but she wasn't allowed to say much, and she had to let him proofread it before he would mail the letter out. Of course, writing to her family from time to time wasn't enough for her, and so she begged Cameron, Colleen begged him to let her call her family, and eventually he gave in. She called home and spoke with her sister, her sister didn't even recognize her when they were on the phone. And uh, it was, a, I'm sure, as we can all imagine, it was a very emotional conversation. And they did catch up a little bit. Her sister kept asking, where are you? Where are you? And Colleen would not budge. She just kept saying, I'm up north. I'm up north. And when I say up north, um, of course, you guys know she was in Red Bluff at this point in California. But her father's family... Um, her, her, I'm sorry, her sister and her father lived down in Southern California in a town called Riverside, which is not very far from me. So after that phone call, oh, and by the way, she also learned that her sister in the time that Kay had been away had born a child who was now three years old. So I cannot imagine how sad that must have been for Colleen to be like, man, I miss the most monumental event in my sister's life. I wasn't there. And it's not that she didn't want to be. She she couldn't be. So um, anyway, after that phone call, Colleen started asking, you know, can I see my parents in person? I really want to see my family in person. And she just would not let up on that. She kept asking Cameron. Uh, and at this time, too, Cameron would also discuss things like moving to Lake Tahoe, where Kay would have her own cabin. And uh, he even gave her a gold ring. And he told her that she was going to be his slave wife. Eventually, in 1981, after four years of living in captivity, Cameron finally let Kay see her family in person. Her family noticed that she had become thin and pale because... Um, 
I'm sorry. So she was usually, you know, curvaceous, but now she was all thin and they were, they noticed that she didn't look the same. Um, and she was terrified of the company. So she didn't tell her family a single thing at all about what was happening. And after she left, her family wouldn't see her again until 1984. Her family assumed that she must have been in a cult because of her lack of communication with them uh, and the handmade clothes that she had worn when she went to go see him and her apparent poverty. They were honestly afraid they would never hear from her again if they pushed her with too many questions while she was visiting them. So they really just let her lead. And they did, and since she didn't let on that anything was wrong, they didn't ask additional questions. Um, but after that visit, Cameron was concerned that he had given Kay too much freedom. So after that, she was back to spending 23 hours in a day in, 23 hours a day in the box as she had done before and Cameron basically just told their kids and the neighbors whatever anybody that had come in contact with her that she had gone home to be with her family and this went on until about 1983 when Cameron then again allowed her to come back out of the box and have more freedom and he reintroduced her to their neighbors and all that in fact, by this time, he was so confident that he wouldn't be in any trouble, that Kay wouldn't say anything, that he let her get a job in May of 1984. He made up some bullshit story about how he couldn't afford the, quote, security fee that he was supposed to pay to the company. And so she would have to help out financially. A little ridiculous, but okay. So then Cameron told Janice that Kay was his slave wife and he wanted to sleep with her in the open. And he told Janice that he was going to do what he wanted regardless of how Janice felt and that she should just accept that Kay was his slave wife. Janice later admitted that Cameron had also brainwashed and tortured her since their first date and she had simply learned to compartmentalize the abuse. Well, yeah, bitch, because he wasn't, like, electrocuting you. Like, if he was electrocuting you, I doubt the fuck you could compartmentalize that shit. But whatever, Janice. Thanks for telling us how you dealt with all your abuse. I honestly, yeah, I just, the more I think about it, like, I know she's a victim too, but fuck her anyway. Like, I feel the same way as I did about Dave Notek. Like, what a piece of shit. You just sat by and let that happen. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, Cameron eventually uh, around this time also started talking about stealing another girl and Janice hated the thought. Um, but at this time, she was having really difficult feelings because she knew that she'd been complicit all this time and she was afraid to go to the cops. Um, but by the end of August 1984, after Colleen had lived with them for over seven years, Janice decided she'd had enough and she went to Kay's job. And she told Kay that there was no such thing as the company. She told Kay that Janice herself was also not a slave. And she told Kay that everything that Cameron had ever said to her was a lie. They both cried and they determined that they would, you know, end this. Like this slave relationship thing would not go on anymore. Um, they stopped by a church to talk to a priest because... They just needed some guidance and they told the priest their predicament and his advice because they told him, you know, we have to pick up Cameron at four or else he's going to know something is wrong. So the priest said, you know, what you should do is pick him up just like 
every other day and hang out at night, you know, just go to sleep. And then when you wake up after you've taken Cameron to work, then you can get all your shit together and go. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, that that afternoon, they picked up Cameron from work, just like usual. And later that night, Jan didn't even want to sleep in the same bed as Cameron. So she actually slept on the floor with Kay. And the next day after Cameron left for work, they gathered up their things and uh, Janice's and Cameron's kids, and they all went to Janice's parents' house. So from there, uh, Kay called her father, who lived in Riverside, as I mentioned, and asked her, asked him to send her some money for a bus fare. When she got the money, the first thing she did was she went to a payphone. Well, she went to a bus station, and then she went to a payphone, and she called Cameron, and she told him that she knew everything and that she was leaving, and he, there was nothing he could do about it. She was not going to stay. And his response was actually a little surprising. He just started sobbing. So Janice, for her part, did not leave Cameron right away as she had planned. He, of course, talked her into staying with him, as all abusers do. So, of course, she stayed for a little while. And she tried to convince Cameron to burn all of his creepy whips, handcuffs, magazines, gas masks, slavery contract, and the stuff that Kay had written. And he actually did. Um, And he promised that he would change and convinced... um, Cameron, uh, I'm sorry, and Cameron and Janice both convinced Kay not to say anything because Janice believed that Cameron and his sadistic ways could be rehabilitated. For all of you listening, no, they cannot be rehabilitated. Sadists are just wired different. They're just fucked up people. You can't rehabilitate a sadist. I feel like that about narcissists too, for the most part, Um, because most narcissists never know that they need help, that they're fucked up. So they don't get help and they don't ever have the awareness that they would need to change, to be better than, you know, they naturally are. Anyhow, Cameron and Janice actually stayed in touch with Colleen for weeks after she left. And um, again, they convinced her not to go to the cops. Her family tried so hard to persuade her to talk to the cops, but she was so afraid of Cameron that she just couldn't. Naturally, um, as time went by, it became evident that Cameron was not at all interested in rehabilitation. And in the fall of 1984, Janice decided to leave him. And Janice also told a woman from church about you know, Cameron, how he was a sexual sadist. And she told this lady that he kept Kay as a slave for seven years. And this lady was like, why didn't you do something? She's like, well, I did. I told her, like she told um, Colleen that it was all a lie and that, you know, she basically freed her. She's like, well, I did. I let her go. I told her and I let her go. And I'm like, sigh. But seven years after the fact, better late than never, I guess. But holy hell. Connie, oh, so this lady's name is apparently Connie, but then I, as I was listening to this story, this book, I like got distracted. And so I'm not sure myself if it was, if Connie is Pastor Dabney or not. So anyway, I don't want to confuse everybody. So just forget I mentioned Connie. (laughs) We're just going to call her the woman. So she told Jan, you need to call the cops. You need to tell the police. And Jan resisted until this lady finally said, 
you know, Cameron could do something to your daughters. Is that what you want? And that just completely turned Janice's mind around. And she um, also went to um, her minister, Pastor Dabney, and then Pastor Dabney actually is who called the cops. So Janice then told the police all about what was going on with Colleen. And she also told the police all about Marianne Elizabeth Spanicky because Marianne's body was never found. And unfortunately, because of that, no charges were ever brought against Cameron for Marianne's disappearance and or death. In November of 1984, Cameron was arrested and the police gave a statement the day after his arrest to let the community know that they had arrested a man in connection with sex crimes. And Red Bluff was a pretty small town and they were absolutely stunned. Like, how could this have happened in our town? Why didn't this victim just run away? Who would keep somebody in a coffin-sized box? And why doesn't this girl seem like she's been abused? Um, so the the townsfolk had strong opinions about it all. Even Cameron's co-workers didn't believe the allegations against him. And some people even thought that Jan and Colleen were lesbians colluding to hurt Cameron. Yeah. Which that just goes to the whole like being afraid of people that are different than you. It's like, yes, of course, people that are gay are definitely interested in colluding and hurting people. Like what the hell does being lesbian have to do? with hurting Cameron, these people. So anyway, as I said, a lot of people just had issues with how Colleen could stay there if Cameron was so awful. They just wondered why didn't she try to escape. And I'm sure Colleen wonders that too. Like, but I mean, she was terrified. If somebody kept you in a box, like, I don't know, that would do something to you psychologically, I think. In 1985, Cameron Hooker went on trial for Colleen's rape, torture, kidnapping, and imprisonment, and Janice testified against him in exchange for full immunity. He was found guilty and sentenced to 104 years in jail. He applied for a parole hearing in 2015, and he was denied. He is eligible for another parole hearing in 2030, but I... For my part, hope he kicks the bucket long before then. Fuck that guy. We don't need him in society. Um, after the trial on January 28, 1986, Janice filed for divorce and she went back to her maiden name, Lashley. According to Wikipedia, Janice became a registered associate social worker and worked as a mental health professional, which that's just so wild. It's like these people that are in these crazy situations becoming mental health professionals, I guess because in a way, like, they understand things from the victim's perspective. So maybe it makes them really good at their job. And I'm saying them because I'm I'm thinking of Candy Montgomery because, you know, she went through all that and then she became a mental health counselor, which, holy shit. Anyway, yeah, I hope you guys actually checked out those um, shows on HBO or Max now that now HBO dropped the HBO from HBO Max. But it's called um, Love and Death on HBO Max and then Candy on Hulu. Both of them are great. I personally liked Love and Death better. Um, I thought both of the actresses were great. It's not that. It was just that I felt like Love and Death got more of the details correct. And in Candy, like... I know I'm totally going off topic, sorry, but in Candy, the one on Hulu, 
they had that guy from Orange is the New Black, the guy that played Pornstash. He was playing the husband. And just like the description of him didn't at all match what the book said about him. So I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't like the casting in that one as much. Like, I don't know. I just felt like they're, it was, it was lacking in certain ways. It was fine. It was good. And I would suggest anybody watch it because it's certainly not a terrible watch. But yeah, anyway, Candy ended up becoming a mental health counselor just like Janice. And I just think that's bizarre. Um, It's less bizarre to me that Candy did than it is that Janice did because, I don't know, I think Candy walked into a situation where she did not have any idea that this person was going to kill her and like or try to kill her and she had to fight back. Um, But Janice, like, she just sat there and, like, accepted it and, quote, compartmentalized everything that was happening. So I don't know. That's just uh, Janice. I would not want her anywhere near me as a mental health professional. I don't care what she knows. I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. So after the trial, Colleen went to school and she earned an accounting degree and she tried to have a pretty normal life. She also volunteered at an organization called the Reading Women's Refuge Center to help abused women. Sadly, Colleen's personal life was pretty rocky. She had several failed marriages and uh, a troubled child who ended up in jail. I don't know what's going on with the kid, but yeah, pretty sad. They both, she and Janice, live in California, but of course they don't talk to each other because what else would they say? Like, hey, remember that time that we imprisoned you for seven years and like tortured and raped you and made you sleep in a box under our bed and you didn't see your family for all that time except for like the handful of times that like the one time that uh, my shitty husband let you, like what do they even have to talk about, of course. So yeah, they were both victims, but definitely Colleen was more of a victim. Janice was sort of a perpetrator too, in my opinion. But anyway, that is it. That is the story of Colleen Stan, the girl in the box. I hope you liked it. And I think the next episode is going to be about this crazy person named David Parker Ray. That story is fucking bananas. And I do hope that you will hang tight with me. It might be another month before I get that episode out, but I will. All right. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye.